0: Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Pastor Charles preached last week, in case you missed it, on Christ is our thinking. The idea of this series is that many of us come to Christ because we hear the gospel, God saves us, we have no idea what the implications of that's going to be how many of you guys would not have signed up if you had known <laughs> okay that's a little bit tongue in cheek but here's the point we hear that god has loved us through the cross of christ and we're overwhelmed of the beauty of who jesus is and so we open the front door of our life to jesus and he comes in and we go oh no he has a broom And then, because he said he was Lord and not only Savior, he doesn't ask for permission as to which rooms he goes into and starts cleaning house. Who here, specifically, has gotten holier in an area where you did not give Jesus permission? That is sanctification 101. Sanctification is just a big church word of Jesus making you, through the Holy Spirit, making you more like himself. I didn't want to give that up. I didn't want to change my thinking in that way. I didn't want my passions to change, but they changed. What's going on? Ah! And this journey of Lent, this sermon series, what we're doing is not simply looking at the way that Jesus moves into different uh, areas of our life as an individual, but he moves into our different spheres of influence as well. Um, So, Today we're talking about something really inconvenient, Jesus in the workplace. Who here, let's be honest, you love Jesus, and because of where you work or where you used to work if you're retired, it would have been a lot easier to not be a Christian? Anybody? Okay. For me, it's kind of tough, but for you guys... (laughs) tell the elders I'm a Buddhist, and that's my last elder meeting, right? So, (laughs) Dennis has been preaching an awful lot recently. I thought something happened to Greg. Um, (laughs) But yeah, the culture is such now that usually, most of the time, if you work outside of the home, you are a missionary the whole time. Does that make sense? Okay? And it's not something to complain about. It's not something to bemoan. I'm going to put it forward today as a beautiful opportunity, right? Bloom where you're planted. We're going to get to Matthew 5 later. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, right? That's a way of saying, hey, I knew what phases of life you were going to be in when I saved you. I knew you were going to work there. I knew this was going to be your family. I knew that your sister was going to be mad about it. I knew that this and this and this, and that you were going to shine the light of the gospel everywhere you went. I knew that. I got this. You don't need to freak out, right? So um, I'm going to not read an extended text this time. It's a little bit different because it's topical preaching. I'm going to put forward three ideas to you about work. Um, This will be particularly impactful if you love Jesus. If you are exploring Jesus, uh, I still think this will be of tremendous benefit to you because you're going to see what God thinks of work and of rest so, note takers, we're gonna jump right in. Work is sacred. Work is sacred. Chapter 2, verse 15. Take a look. The Lord God placed a man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Did you hear that? He has a job. Young guys, he had a job before he had a girl. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm gonna say. No. Oh. That was for free. So, ooh, his shirt has buttons. So anyway, um, no, it's actually quite important. The man had a job. He had the word of God, God's command to him of how he was to interact with the garden. So he had a Bible that wasn't dusty. And then God gave him a wife. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So why am I starting off with work is sacred? Anybody had a day, a week, a decade where you wanted to quit. Okay, work can be tough, even if you're in your dream job, work can be really tough. And it is not overstating, because it's literally here in Scripture coming up in chapter three, that work is also cursed. We feel the curse so easily, and that's the second point of the sermon, we'll get to that, that we can forget, because complaining is easy, right? Right? Oh, that's just torment. It's March, guys. There's no football. Don't play with my heart like that. NFL theme song in March. Come on. Uh, (laughs) Five more months. Five more months. Um, It is so much easier to complain about the curse than it is to celebrate that work was sacred in the first place, that it's holy, it's beautiful, it's given by God. So let me just, again, we read the Bible from left to right. Okay, we start with Genesis 1, and then we go all the way to Revelation, and it's got to be taken historically, the the way it was revealed. So before work was cursed in chapter three, work already existed. It was given to humanity to do. There was no sin. There was no brokenness. There was no jerk boss. There was no lack of Sabbath. There was nobody overdoing it. There was no laziness because there was no sin. Could you imagine a workplace where there's nobody who's lazy? There's nobody who's overdoing it. There's nobody who's being mean or selfish. It's very hard to even imagine because we're humans. We're broken. Work was already sacred. It was already beautiful. It already existed. It did not just magically show up as soon as we were cursed of God by rebelling against Him. He didn't put work there and say, This is your torment for the rest of your life. What He's saying is, when He says to Adam later, Hey, work is going to be harder now, He's saying, it was already there, it was already beautiful, but you've perverted it. You've perverted the things under your stewardship and you're to steward the earth and, and it's, there's brokenness now. So we have, to, we have to remind ourselves of something's original beauty. Um, let's talk for a second about, oh, that didn't show up that well, that's all right. Um, shades of melanin, especially uh, the last few years, has skin color turned into a political punching bag? It's turned into a reason for people to fight each other, hate each other, disrespect each other. Not just, not like traditional racism, like what color is your skin? I hate you because of the color of your skin. But your position, your approach to skin color became a punching bag. And it is really hard, but really necessary in Christianity for us to take a step back from the fight and take a deep breath and then let God speak. This is what we do, right? Take a step back, take a deep breath and let God speak. And what we see is something that was not just beautiful, but creative. Skin color is so obvious that God is has created and is still creating. He didn't have to make melanin work the way that it works. And we can see beauty and we can see creativity. We can see our God's fingerprint and and we can give him praise and adoration and worship just the same way as appreciating two different color flowers. Because God made it. And Satan's problem with race is that God was getting praise. That's Satan's problem with anything. If you have sex with your wife and you give God praise because of that, Satan wants to take sex and pervert it. If you taste a flavor because you went to a steakhouse and you ordered a medium rare the way you should have, and you that rolled up to praise and honor and glory for creating your taste buds, for creating flavor, and for the sacrifice that that cow made, Satan wants to take food and pervert it and say, "Hey, why don't you worship it? Why don't you make it ultimate?" Don't don't tell me we haven't, yeah, we, we, I mean, there are over 2,000-year-old texts. They're talking about their God as their stomachs. Like, this is not new. We've done it. Any good thing in its right context invites the people of God to praise God. And the enemy of God isn't having it. Satan does not want you to go to work, even though it's a cursed place and it's a tough place, embracing it as a holy, sacred trust from your creator and shining the light of the gospel there. Satan's not interested in any of that happening. He wants you to grumble and complain and come in with a terrible attitude and leave with a worse attitude, never thanking God for anything. So my challenge to you, embrace work, embrace it with tenacity, that stick-to-itiveness, Embrace it with creativity. God is a creative God when he made us and when he gave us work, he actually invited us into a similar behavior as what he did. Hey, go be creative. Create art. Create businesses. Create jobs for other people so they can prosper. Embrace it with gratitude. Thank you, God, for work. Anybody been out of work and it starts to get real bad real fast? Okay, The stats change all the time, but something like 72% of Americans, we're only within one paycheck of an empty checking account. So we're like two weeks out. Um, and that desperation, um, there was a time early at Emily and I's marriage, because when you're 22, you're genius and you know everything, um, where we took out a $20,000 student loan while Emily was finishing her master's, so she didn't have to work. I was working for two bean burritos a week as a youth pastor. But when you're 23 years old, it's, it's a genius idea. Why don't you take out this gargantuan student loan? Really just so you could live for a year. Like it wasn't really for the school costs. Sac State isn't that expensive. Um, man, I was so disheartened when I faced a time of unemployment And then, because I was bivocational, I was still in youth ministry, but my other job wasn't there. Man, does it feel getting a job when you've been desperately needing one. It feels like a meal when you've been starving. It feels like water when you've been in a desert. Oh, it's gonna be okay. Things are still tight. I'm still two, three weeks away from a paycheck, but at least I have a job now. And other issues like self-respect of I'm just sitting at home like a bump on a log all day. Guys, work is cursed. I'm preaching my point ahead of my point, but it's cursed. And it's hard to remember that its original design is beautiful and it is loving of God to give us work, to give us stuff to do. He's inviting us to behave like him. So there's that. Second, work is cursed. If you didn't already have it filled in, come on now, come on turn maybe a page or maybe don't even turn the page. Let's get in the middle of chapter three. The man and the woman think that they are smarter than God. They think God's holding out on them. And so they eat of the one tree that they were disallowed from eating. They sever their relationship with God. And God shares all these different ways that the creation is broken. Their experience with him is gonna be broken because of sin. Start at verse 17. And to the man, he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So the real big one is there at the end saying, you are not going to physically live forever anymore. You're going to die now. But most of the actual meat of what he's saying is that he's talking about, hey, your relationship to the ground was to cultivate and steward it, and it was going to produce food for you. And now you're still going to get food from it, but it's going to be hard work. It's going to be hard. So I'm saying this to you to provide you comfort When work is hard, do you know you're interacting with something spiritual? Work is hard because it's cursed. Getting enough money so that you don't have too much month at the end of the money, you're engaging with something spiritual that flows out of our rebellion against God. Huh. I hope that gives you comfort. Like, oh, this is why I've been swimming upstream. It is, yes, it's hard. Just accept it. Let's all say it together. It's hard. Okay? It's hard. And that doesn't mean that you're dumb. It doesn't mean you went and got the wrong college degree. It doesn't necessarily even mean you're working at the wrong place or in the wrong career. That could be the case. But the, the reason we say that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence And then we, what? We change jobs, we change spouses, heaven help us. We change something that we think is going to be better. And guess what? The grass is greener where you water it. I'm preaching to me, guys. You just happen to be in the room. The grass is greener where you water it. Your parenting, marriage, workplace, relationship with your sister, relationship with the city, the civics. That we're going to preach on. So I want you to imagine that 40 years ago, you were awesome. 40 years ago, you knew you were going to the NBA, so you were balling it up. What you were actually doing, although you got great exercise, was wearing down your knees, and you're now approaching retirement, and the doctor's saying, hey, I really recommend... Both of your knees get replaced. You're going fe- to feel 20 years younger. You really will. It's going to be great. But you're going to be laid out for a little while. And you are a highly committed grandparent who wants to go to your granddaughter's track meet. And you've got this, this surgery scheduled, and it's a month away. But you don't want to miss the track meet, and you're in incredible pain. You know what you can do? It's not maybe fun, but you know what you can do? You can assess your pain level and assess your joy level. How much joy will I get by getting to be there? And you can make a calculated decision to struggle to the car anyway and park in the best spot you can and struggle to the bleachers anyway. You and I have the choice every single day to not ignore the pain but to admit that it's there and measure it against the potential joy and make a choice anyway. That's called life, by the way. That's just every day, right? Don't do somebody dirty and, and, and slough off their pain. Don't go, oh, the Lord will provide, it'll be good. You know, we, we say these things that are true, but really trite, okay? The pain is real, the joy is real, and I can measure them and decide, do I want to go anyway? Is the pain more, or should I stay home? I know my granddaughter understands that I'm in a lot of pain. She's going to be fine, but I really, really want to be there. We can measure, and we can decide. And part of what in this illustration helps you to see the pain rightly is that you know you've got the surgery scheduled. You're only 30 days away from the surgery, Brothers and sisters, work is not always going to be cursed. Some of, some of us are doing it right now. Some of you already did it. You looked forward to your retirement as your delivery from the curse of work, when in reality, in glory, in a new heavens and a new earth, work will no longer be cursed, and we can be creative, and we can be productive, and we won't be sinning against each other or our Savior. The Bible calls heaven the ultimate Sabbath, the ultimate spiritual and practical rest. So work is still cursed even if you retired. So who who here, you retired and then all of a sudden you didn't have to pick weeds out of your garden, you didn't have to put nitrogen in the soil and the tomatoes just showed up twice as big as they ever had. Was the ground just not cursed because you retired? Yeah, the curse is still there. Or you're retired, but you're praying for your son because your son's in between jobs, right? Or your granddaughter's fresh out of college and she's nervous about getting a, a job in her field, right? There are reasons to see that work is still cursed. Retirement does not solve it. What solves it is God's beautiful and precious promises. It's in Romans where we hear the opposite of Genesis 3. Genesis 3, the ground is cursed. Romans 8 you know the earth is groaning in labor pains, excited about the day it is set free from this curse. If you get big for your britches, and you do because you're human, we all get big for our britches. Think about it for a second. Rocks and trees have more faith in their redemption than we often have. Rocks and trees know that Jesus is coming back in a big way and that the suffering is gonna stop. So am I dumber than a tree? I guess I I am. (sighs) My encouragement to you in light of this curse, endure hard work without grumbling. I know this is hard, but this is what scripture commands the Christian to. Endure hard work without grumbling. Something else, plan your rest. Scripture says that Sabbath wasn't created for God. It was created for humanity. So let me unpack that. God was not tired at the end of day six. You know that, right? Infinite in his power, infinite in his creativity, he can create energy and time and matter with the spoken word at the same time. He was not tired after he made us. Scripture says that he rested to model something for us. He knew that we were going to rebel and that we were going to start a very perverse relationship with work. Oh, it only grows thistles and stuff unless there's great labor. I'll just keep working, said every human ever. Right? It is the most logical thing in the whole world. Oh, if it's really hard and I'm just barely making budget, I'll just keep working. I don't need a weekend. I'll work 15-hour days and wonder years later why my children hate me. I'll just keep working, right? Guys, plan your rest. Purposefully say, this is when I will not pursue income. Anticipate ultimate rest with Jesus. I've already preached that point. Scripture says ultimate rest is being with our Savior and with our creator, and it's gonna be amazing. Thirdly, work provides opportunities to show that Jesus offers a better life. Work provides gospel opportunities. Turn with me to Matthew Chapter Five, if you would. Starting at verse fourteen. Jesus speaking. This you is plural and it's talking to his followers. So Christians, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Sorry, my Sunday school came out. No one puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Here, the communal implications of the blessing. It's still true today. You do not, walk, you do not need a room. Say it's, it's uh, dinner time and five, six people are gonna sit down for a meal and you flip on the light switch just for yourself so you can see your food, right? That That isn't, it's so intuitive that lights are installed in ceilings. That's what we do. We do not install them in the floor where it's right under your chair awkwardly and you still can't see your plate and it, you feel like you're at a club you know, or something, you know, why is this light shining up at my feet? Uh, we install lights up high, inerrantly communal. You'd have to be the only person in the room to be the only person getting the benefit. And Jesus says that's not how it works. In the same way, verse 16, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will... Do what? Oh, man, the glory of God is still the point. I thought I was going to be Christ in the workplace, so I got a raise. No? I mean, that could happen. Jesus says that in the various spheres where a Christ follower goes, his or her righteousness, chasing after good works and good words, things that glorify Jesus, those things go out from us and what is light but a blessing. It's a blessing to others. and What's the blessing that I receive if I'm not a Christ follower and I see you in the workplace, not grumbling, working hard, great attitude? What's the blessing that I receive? I get to see Jesus in you and it results in praise inside me. Something miraculous has happened when my rebellious heart is now praising God. I don't know about you guys' background. I I grew up in church. And I swear, based on my experiences, you would think nobody could possibly come to Jesus unless you had memorized a five-point outline and knocked on their door and shared it with them. That's all well and good, by the way. But it sounded like it was the only way anybody came to Jesus. Jesus here is saying, hey, in any sphere where you go and you take... The love, my love, with you. I can and will reveal myself to the people around you. It, it sounds very similar to, "Hey, you can praise me with your lips or I can have the rocks cry out. How are we going to do this?" I know how to reveal myself to my creation," God says. I can write a book that transcends every culture. Romans again, one and two, says that God reveals himself just through what he created. The wind and the trees, he reveals himself to people. I don't know if I've shared this, guys, with you before or if you've read it on your own. There was a 19th century missionary trying to get to this far-flung Pacific island uh, to bring the gospel to them. Forgive me for not citing sources. I just heard the story a long time ago. He shows up, and begins to try to make friends and try to learn the language or whatever and in the middle of their little collection of huts was this big, the biggest building that clearly looked like it was a communal like everybody could fit in there and it had a cross on top and he was overjoyed oh i was wrong somebody you know a missionary has been here somebody reached them with the gospel this is wonderful and so when he's able to communicate he starts asking them oh so you guys are christians and they say what's that Well, did somebody come here and tell you about Jesus? And they said, Well, sort of. What? And they told a story how two generations earlier, like 50 years earlier, a man in their tribe had this vision that God was trying to talk to him, the creator of the world, whatever their concept of God was. And said, I want you to write this down. I guess they had a written language, man. I don't know. They said, yeah, this is the holy text that we have from his vision. What? And the missionary, I guess he had learned how to read or whatever, but the missionary looks at this scroll or book or whatever they had written it down, and it was word for word the book of Romans. Romans. They had spent 50 years going, I don't know who Paul is, but he wrote this. We know who Jesus is. He died for us. Okay, brothers and sisters, we obey to join God in what he's already doing. He does not need you. There are certain sentences that should never, ever be said because there's no context in which it could possibly be right. Okay? Okay. Let me, fellas, let me give you an example. Here's something you could never, ever say in any context ever. Are you ready? Wow, she was pretty 20 years ago, wasn't she? (laughs) You can never say that, ever. And you know what Christians should never, ever say? God needs, doesn't matter how you finish the sentence, you're wrong. God does not need me to do anything. He'll send someone else. I will miss out on the joy. I will miss out on the blessing. But if God does not seek and save the lost in my life because of my disobedience, think that one through. My sin is more powerful than his sovereign saving grace. No, it's not. My sin is not stronger than Jesus. So if I'm silent, the rocks will cry out. This is critical. Do you think God's up there sweating because I chose sin and rebellion? The gospel's not gonna get to my friend? Oh, yes, it will. I'm gonna miss out on all of it. I'm gonna have friends in heaven. I probably will. I'm gonna have friends in heaven with eternity. I'm like, I should have told you about Jesus. I'm sure glad somebody else did. Thank the Lord. I've got three sermons I'm preaching today. I think you've noticed. Okay. So here's, I'm gonna briefly unpack these, th- these three beautiful things, practical application of Christ shining his light and love through us in the workplace. There are so many things that uh, manifest the, the light and love of Jesus, what people receive, but I just wanna talk briefly about three to make it practical for us, hope, peace, and joy. Here's what hope sounds like when you love Jesus and you're trying to love him really well in the workplace. Here's what hope sounds like sounds like. My hope isn't in success or income. It's in Jesus. Are there behaviors and attitudes that can manifest that? I'm not freaking out. I'm plugging it away. My God has this. He's on his throne. My hope isn't in success or income. It's in Jesus. Even when we choose integrity, if a lack of integrity could put more money in our pocket, When somebody chooses an immoral action to put money in their pocket, they're saying my hope is in money. They're not just saying I'm a bad person. They're saying I have to do what it takes to get money because that's where I put my hope. So ethical behavior says I have a hope that's resting somewhere else. Peace. Here's what it sounds like. When the boss is demanding, I have a calm heart in the middle of the storm because I have a strong Christ in the middle of the storm. Yes, boss is being demanding. I'm still calm. It's okay. Because I have a Christ who is strong and he's with me in the valley of the shadow of death. All dark things that I walk through, I don't walk through them alone. I have peace. I have peace with God. Romans 5.1. Joy. Here's what joy can sound like in the workplace. I can enjoy the labor of work because I am mirroring my loving creator. Even when work is hard, I'm still acting like my creator and I'm doing something he told me to do. I can enjoy the labor of work because I am mirroring my loving creator. And then lastly, before we wrap up, I want to say something that is an important connection to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, The cross was the greatest work in all of history. And I'm using the word work on purpose. Um, Christians have been struggling for 2,000 years. We struggled in a big way 500 years ago called the Protestant Reformation, fighting over the question, are people saved by grace alone when they come to Jesus or do they also have to do good works to be saved? The Catholic concern, and this was said expressly out loud to Luther and Calvin and other folks, hey, if you say that salvation is only by grace alone, they're not going to obey. They're going to just sin and sin and sin. You can't say this. You have to tell them that they've got to be obedient. Otherwise, they're going to sin. The reformer's response was, no, they won't. When we tell them that God has unilaterally loved them, proactively and unilaterally loved them and saved them despite themselves, they will naturally respond in loving him back. So that's what the fight was. And I dare say that fight is never gonna end until glory, right? It is logical, Hey, if your chief concern is getting obedience out of people, you should probably dangle the fear of hell above their head at all time. If the objective is to get behavior from them, right? Can I get an amen from the parents? Okay, if you're trying to get behavior out of your kids, you're going to use certain tactics. If you're trying to get to the heart of the matter and disciple their beliefs about God and themselves, you might use different tactics, And sometimes there's overlap and sometimes there's a different season for a different thing. But if I'm only interested in your behavior, fear is great. Fear's awesome. So go for it. But it just doesn't sound like our gospel. Just, it doesn't sound like the savior that we have. So foundation, have you been saved by works? It's a trick question. You were absolutely saved by works. You were saved by Jesus' works. We were all saved by the hardest work ever. Our work is cursed and our great worker, Savior, became a curse because cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. And the New Testament says that he went to his cross. There's a lot of reasons why Jesus went to his cross and the New Testament communicates it a lot of different ways. But one of the ways it's communicated is that you and I will have eternal lasting rest. We don't have to keep working for salvation. We don't have to work to please or appease God. And we don't have to do the hard work of fighting God either. We can stop fighting him and, and, and worship him gladly. I was really blessed, won't say his name, it's his story, it's his business. Got to have coffee with a brother yesterday and he didn't share a conversion story. He didn't share a reconversion story. He just said, you know, I just stopped fighting God. It was exhausting. It wasn't really working and I just stopped fighting him. <sighs> Thank you, God. I'm gonna pray for us. Lord Jesus, I ask you to please show your beauty and your power to those of us who don't yet know you. Jesus, for those of us who know you, would you please uh, light a fire under us in a good way when we go to the office or the classroom or the construction site, God, for uh, stay-at-home moms who are working and the culture does not celebrate them the way that it ought to, I ask that their brains, their thinking, be totally renewed to know that what they're doing has been cursed and yet it is so sacred and that what they're doing honors their father. God, I pray for those in the room who love you who have already retired. They don't need to earn income anymore, that you would help them to see all the other areas of their labors that are still cursed and where you could still get glory if they attack that project in a godly way. God, over the next few weeks, I I ask for the blessing of allowing us to see every sphere of life, work or rest, marriage or parenting, finances, our thought life, our sexuality. God, take us to a place where we can see every sphere as an opportunity for you to receive praise amongst our neighbors who don't know you, our friends who don't know you, our city who don't know you, our classmates who don't know you. Make us a light, God, on a hill. We ask this in the great name of Jesus, God's people said, amen. amen. couple of quick announcements to share. Um, 55 and forward is happening, and I think some of you guys forgot, so I should say it out loud. In uh, 30 minutes or so, we're going to be studying Colossians 2 together over here in the office. Uh, make sure to take a look at Bop's Bingo. Has, we've got an insert in your folder so that you can come and party like it's 1979. No? Huh? Okay. But you should come. It's going to be great. Also, make sure to visit the sign-up table because a couple of our big events are coming up uh, and that we're working on, like Mexicali and cookies. That's all back there. So go soak up that information. Find out how you can be involved and be a blessing. Last thing. Uh, Our annual celebration is tonight and we need to put up maybe seven or eight round tables kind of over here-ish. This seating section can stay, but these two sections, we need to unhook the chairs. So if you're able-bodied, if you'd stay and and help just unhook the chairs, we don't need to to stack them all, just unhook them, it'll only take a minute. Uh, I'd appreciate that so much. Love you guys, have a great week. Hope to see you tonight at five.